Welcome to another installment of the Whitaker Myers Wealth Managers What We Learned in the Markets This Week video. We aim to provide you, our valued clients, with a brief video giving you information that is helpful to your understanding of the markets from a biblical worldview with no financial agenda, which makes us uniquely different from the news media in America. This video is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon to make investment decisions. The clients of Whitaker Myers Wealth Managers may maintain positions in the securities discussed in today's video. All opinions discussed are solely those of John Mark Young and not those of Whitaker Myers Wealth Managers. Hi, I'm John Mark Young. 1972, that's the last time we've seen the S&P 500 take a run like we've been on the last four months. 14 of the last 15 weeks have seen a positive result for the S&P 500, and that puts us in the territory we have not been in in nearly 50 years. There's certainly been better runs in terms of the amount of the game, having higher higher percentages, but the consistency the consistency of the gain is what is so impressive during this very exciting time. Now, I will talk about debt levels here in a bit in today's video, but you know who is not benefiting from the stock market going up 14 of the last 15 weeks? Those people that have never met Dave Ramsey. They're struggling in debt. They can't keep a $100 emergency fund going. That's why debt is such an important part of the equation. And enter Dave Ramsey and Ramsey Solutions. That's why career choice and income are so important. Enter Ken Coleman. It's why your psychological relationship with money is so important. Enter Dr. John Deloney. It's why learning from people who have paid off incredible amounts of debt while doing what they love. Enter Jade Warshaw. It seems the market moving forward was less about interest rates coming down, but rather about interest rates plateauing and allowing companies to now understand what their borrowing costs are and will be so they can finance things like merger and acquisitions and large property purchases and a host of other big investments that are going to push the U.S. economy forward. And the joy of all that, you as an investor in the greatest country in the world, in the greatest time in the world, get to benefit from being a part owner of Google, of Amazon, of NVIDIA, of Apple, and a host of other companies that all contribute to the growth of the U.S. economy and the global economy. Now, this is not what many people want you to hear. There is a human negativity bias that we all have. In Europe, there was even a study done uh, on the media industry. And if a newspaper only published positive stories, their newsstand sales dropped by two-thirds. People are just not interested in it if it's not negative, if it's not headline catching. Our best viewership is in bad times on our video series because... People want us to confirm the negativity they see. And the U.S. news media will always put on negative views as long as the person they're putting on has some sort of resume. So don't fall for this. It's, it's not to say bad things can't happen and aren't going to happen. Uh, they, will, they will happen and there will be things in our future that we need to fix. How about a $33 trillion U.S. debt situation or a U Social Security trust fund that's running out of money and by 2030 will be out of money, forcing all Social Security payments to drop by 20% at that point in time. But friends, one way to be able to fix those problems is to run a good, innovative economy. So let's look at the economy. The first thing we check each week is the Atlanta Fed's GDP Now model, which gives us a real-time picture of the growth of the economy based on current data being released. The number last week jumped to an exciting 4%, but this week after releases from the Wholesale Trade Report from the U.S. Census Bureau, which actually we're gonna discuss an interesting finding in that report in point number three, but our current GDP number is running at 3.4%. It's not as hot as last week, but still a very solid number. 
Next, let's check in with our friends in mortgage land and see where the 15 and 30 year mortgage rates are ending up this week. This week, they came in at 6.64% for the 30 year variation, staying pretty steady and 5.9 on the 15 year variation, taking a dip down. How about the labor market? Jobs. The initial claims for unemployment insurance is the report we get every single week, and that came in at 218,000 initial claims for unemployment for last week, staying in historically low territory. And the continuing claims for unemployment insurance, that's where those people are on unemployment, but they can't get off of it. That number has been one of the ones that has popped up recently that scares us a bit, but it came in at 1.87 million. So no materially different number there from last week's 1.89 million. And how about the stock market? Well, as I opened up, they went the right way this week, but how much? That's the question. Well, the S&P 500, which is our proxy for growth and growth in income, but only when taken together, when considered together, that was positive 1.37% this week. The Russell 2000, which tracks small and mid-sized stocks or aggressive growth in our Dave Ramsey vernacular, that was positive by an outstanding 2.54% this week. No surprise considering how much it lagged the broader market for the first month of this year. And finally, the MSCI EFA, which tracks international stocks across the globe in developed countries, excluding the United States, that was positive 20 basis points. So the aggressive growth category took the week this week. And how about point number two? During 2018, I was very much in favor of President Trump cracking down on China and their unfair trade and geopolitical economic practices. Because what were they going to do? We kind of have them where we want them. Are they going to risk losing their largest trading partner? And it's the company they, excuse me, the country they send stuff to. They demand can't be easily replaced. Well, thanks to the efforts of President Trump, just this week we learned that Mexico has surpassed China as the leading source of goods imported to the United States in 2023. This marks a significant shift in the economic landscape representing a, a confluence of geopolitical tensions, supply chain disruptions, and, and regional investment strategies that companies are partaking in. Several factors contributed to the change of Mexico jumping China. On one hand, these ongoing trade disputes and heightened political tensions between the U.S. and China have pushed American companies to diversify their supply base. We've talked a lot about companies moving stuff over to India out of China. Tariffs imposed by both sides have made Chinese imports more expensive, prompting businesses to explore alternative sources closer to home. On the other hand, Mexico has capitalized on proximity. Proximity can be the largest principle of success. And, and they've established a trade agreements with the U.S. through NAFTA and, and with President Trump's USMCA. This, coupled with the investments in infrastructure and manufacturing, made Mexico a more attractive option for companies seeking shorter supply chains and reduced transportation costs, hence Mexico's uh, ascendancy to the top of the import source. Now, it holds potential benefits for both com companies, but it's not without challenges as well. So some things that Mexico's got to work on if they're going to continue to be our largest trade partner, their manufacturing sector needs to continue to modernize and expand to meet the increased demand. Additionally, concerns about labor right issues and environmental standards in Mexico will need to be addressed to ensure that that growth can be sustainable and continued. Now, looking ahead, it remains to be seen whether this shift re represents just a temporary blip or a long-term trend, but I can guarantee you this video series will continue to watch it. And, and it signifies a crucial moment in the U.S.-Mexico economic relationship 
opening up more opportunities for collaboration and shared prosperity while necessitating ongoing dialogue and efforts to address potential challenges. And one way you fix immigration issues as they come through Mexico is make Mexico more attractive and prosperous, thus uh, maybe not so much flows north to the U.S. And finally, point number three, recent data from the Federal Reserve Bank of New York paints a worrying picture of rising credit card and car loan delinquencies in the U.S. Now, I want to be very, very specific here. Credit cards and car loans. That's all I said. I didn't talk about mortgages or anything else. That's it. Credit cards and car loans. While overall debt levels remain manageable because of our population growth and the inflation's doing its thing, debt levels are probably always going to rise. And, and we would not advocate that benefits anyone other than the banking sector. But this is the nature of America. And, and the problem comes into play if the economy slows down and the labor market cools off, which as we saw earlier, is not the case right now. All that debt could be a major stress though in the US financial system if we had a bad economy. The total household debt reached an all-time high of 17 and a half trillion, as you can see on your screen. Again, no alarm being sounded here. I'm not saying that's that's alarmist. Just the facts, and the facts are this number is probably always going to continue to going up. But hey, that is job security for my good friend Dave Ramsey. Now, I have a friend who's a CEO of a of a of a bank, and when I hear him talk about the economy, he is very pessimistic. And and I respect him and love him. But I disagree and wonder where he's coming from with all this data to support you know, his pessimism on the U.S. economy. Well, I think we're seeing it in his loan book. Uh, why? Because I don't know his loan book, but I'm guessing he's heavy in the auto and unsecured debt perspective. And this is the most concerning trend is the sharp increase in delinquency rates for credit cards or said another way, unsecured lending. An annualized 8.5% of balances transitioned into delinquency in the fourth quarter of 2023, and that's the highest level we've seen since 2011. This indicates that more and more people are falling behind on their credit card payments, potentially due to factors like higher interest rates, inflation taking more of their income to other things, or stagnant wages. Now, car loans are also showing a little bit of trouble with a 7.7% delinquency transition rate. While not as dramatic as credit cards, this represents a rise above the pre-pandemic levels, which is kind of how we baseline everything right now, and suggests the financial strain among car owners. Younger borrowers and lower income households are probably going to be more disproportionately, disproportionately affected uh, by both car loans and credit card delinquencies, which is why it's imperative they remove debt from their lives and build a plan to get out of debt ASAP and then get with my guy, Ken Coleman, to get the career thing going on. While the overall delinquency rate for all debt types remains below pre-pandemics, all debt below pre-pandemics, the trends on car loans and, and credit cards are something to watch. We suggest that households are, are, you know, continue to focus on the things they can focus on, which is focus on your baby steps. If you're in baby step two, you got to put all your attention, effort, cash flow towards baby step two. And finally, point number four, let's look at some of the stocks that made news this week. First, it's funny to me how when companies announce layoffs, their stock seems to, to soar up to the moon, or at least some of them do. Well, this week, DocuSign, Snap, and Estee Lauder all announced layoffs, or at least those are the largest companies that announced layoffs. Snap stock did absolutely awful because their layoffs are more about a poorly ran business and the propensity to not keep that business sustainable for long term. However, Estee Lauder had a pretty good week from a stock market perspective after they announced that they would lay off 5% of their staff which is around 3,100 workers because of a convergence of factors, one being the Chinese economy being so terrible and, and all the trouble that they're in right now, thus demand for their high-end products has been soft in China. But they're still a well-ran company, so layoffs mean 
higher profitability, more efficiency, perhaps. Last year, there were only four IPOs. I think I could be wrong on that, but I'm pretty sure there was only four. And they that one of the big ones was Arm Holdings, which is a semiconductor chip maker in the EU. And they have quickly joined the likes of NVIDIA and AMD to become the best of Wall Street due to the AI craze. And the funny thing is, if you remember from our conversation last year, Arm was almost bought by NVIDIA. It was taken down by some regulators. But Arm shares soared because they beat very nicely on revenue and profits. And this stock is now higher, has a higher valuation than NVIDIA and AMD. Just valuation, not total uh total value, just valuation on earnings. How about non-publicly traded companies real quick? Neuralink. This is Elon Musk's company, uh, a non-publicly traded company, and they're creating a brain chip or a chip that you would put in your brain to help those that with unmet medical needs and eventually creating a higher brain capacity and power for the rest of us, if you want that. Well, they announced this week that they are moving their incorporation from Delaware, state of Delaware, to Nevada. Both states have wonderful and great asset protection laws, but a Delaware court recently struck down a pay package for Elon Musk at Tesla. So as Elon does, he's moving at Elon speed, which I love Elon speed. It doesn't mess around. He just gets things done. And he is also scheduling a shareholder vote to move Tesla, the publicly traded company, to Texas from Delaware. New York Community Bank was in the news this week. They are the bank that bought Signature Bank and Flagstar Bank during our mini banking crisis in March of 2023. They also hold a lot of commercial office building debt in New York City. They reported a dividend cut, a fourth quarter loss, and they also named Alessandro Dinello, the former head, the gentleman that ran Flagstar Bank, the bank that they bought because of being poorly ran, to executive chairman to try to shake up their bank and restore profitability. To put his money where his mouth is, to Dinello's credit, he bought more than 200000 worth of company stock. And finally, Disney. Bob Iger came back to Disney in the CEO role this year. And as one of the greatest leaders of our lifetime, you knew the company was probably going to bounce back from its insane attitude over the past few years, including all the crazy stuff they did during the pandemic. Earlier this week, Disney, who owns ESPN, uh, they and Fox and Warner Brothers announced a team up to create a new streaming service centered around sports. So there's going to be a new streaming service all around sports. Then Bob Iger on, on their earnings call announced that they have a $1.5 billion investment in the popular game series Fortnite. And Disney Plus is getting an exclusive cut of Taylor Swift's Eras Tour concert movie. My daughters are going to love that, considering that we subscribe to Disney Plus and they love Taylor Swift. So thanks so much for watching the four things we learned in the markets this week. If this video series was helpful to you, would you do us a favor? You can do us a favor by hitting the like button. That pushes our content out to more people with Google, YouTube, and Rumble's algorithms, as well as hitting the subscribe button. The subscribe button helps you get our content as it is released, including our webinar series that we're doing this month. This month, we have some of the leaders of the VanEck Wide Moat Strategy joining us on a conference call to talk about wide moat investing, which is a key tenet of Whitaker Myers investing strategies for many of our portfolios. Wide moat investing. You want to get make sure that you get access to that webinar as it's held or watch the replay on our YouTube channel. As well as you can go to the comment section to schedule a meeting with any of our financial coaches who help you get out of debt through Baby Steps 1, 2, and 3. They build a budget with you, help you hold accountable, as well as then our financial planners and advisors who help you in Baby Steps 4, 5, 6, and get to Baby Step 7, where you can live and give like no one else. Thanks so much. We'll see you next week.